Well, good morning. This is J.B. Hickson with Not By Works Ministries. Thanks for joining us for the podcast today. I've got a special guest I'm going to be introducing here in uh, just a moment. You've actually, uh, he's probably the smartest guy in the world you've never met. Um, but if you follow Not By Works Ministries, you have benefited from his wisdom because he's just a great source of uh, intel and uh, wisdom and, and, and commentary on geopolitical events. And I look forward to kind of picking his brain a little bit and allowing you to to meet him. His name's Randy, and I'll bring him on uh, the uh, program here in just a moment. But I want to start uh, with a couple of things. First, I wanted to give just a quick ministry update. Most of you noticed we did not have our regular live stream and uh, podcasts on Sunday this week. That's because I was out of town. Uh, but we did have a couple of conference messages that were posted last week. If you've not yet listened to those, I want to encourage you to to go back and do that. One of them was a message that I gave to a group of college students. I always love speaking to young people uh, because, uh, boy, uh, it is a different world today that they're growing up in uh, than what uh, you and I did. Uh, and so I talked about worldview and looked at uh, one of my favorite passages, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And then la that later that night, last week, I was in Beaumont and spoke at Beaumont Bible Church on the rich young ruler from Mark's gospel. And that was a just a really profound and uh, I think uh, inspiring in, in terms of the, the, the teaching of God's word uh, reminder of the freeness of salvation and the incredible grace of God and the urgency of the gospel and all of the things that uh, we here at Not By Works are passionate about. So go back and listen to those two uh, podcasts. Uh, we'll be back on with our regular Sunday live stream this coming Sunday, October the 23rd, from Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia. We've been having uh, packed houses every week, and if you're ever in the Denver metro area on a Sunday, we encourage you to come out and visit us at Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia. In fact, I learned this morning, I was at the church for a men's breakfast real early, and I learned from one of our folks there that we had some folks stop by yesterday on Monday, actually had heard about us through Jan Markell, and we're just uh, wanting to come kind of scout it out. And, and it just so happened that one of our folks was there uh, doing some things at the church. And so uh, God is really uh, blessing Plum Creek Chapel and Not By Works Ministries uh, in terms of our exposure through ministries like uh, Olive Tree Ministries and uh, David Fiorazzo's Stand Up for the Truth and many others. So uh, yeah, come see us at Plum Creek. But if you can't make it or if you're not in the area, we will be live streaming again uh, this coming Sunday at nine o'clock Mountain Time and also at about 1030 Mountain Time. So you can check that out at notbyworks.org. One other quick announcement. I'm so excited. We are counting the days now until Spirit of the Antichrist Volume 2 goes on sale. It will go on sale now in less than a week. So watch the website, sign up for our newsletter, make sure you are kind of in touch with what's going on at, at NBW. And this coming Monday, uh, we will uh, put those uh, new books on the store and you'll be able to purchase them. Uh, we will fulfill orders uh, starting October 31st. Remember, that's the official release date. And that kind of segues into what we're going to be talking about today on the program. But we chose October 31st, Halloween, as the release date for Volume 2 because we wanted to remind Satan on his favorite holiday when he's more giddy than ever before and all of his demons are running rampant and all of those Satan worshipers and Satanists and Luciferians are out there having their heyday on that one special day for them each year. We wanted to kind of be a downer on that day for him and remind him that he loses, that God wins, and that he is uh, 
his day is coming. So we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But I wanted to mention that spiritoftheantichrist.org is a great website to go to to kind of uh, get prepared for uh, the release of the book. You can read uh, the table of contents in volume two. You can see the preface. And I am just uh, so excited about the contents of this book. It's a little bit bigger book than the first volume, covers a lot more ground and builds on uh, what we established in volume one with the uh, uh, biblical overview of the Luciferian conspiracy, the diagram of the Luciferian conspiracy, and some of the many ways that we've been lied to uh, as the spirit of the Antichrist is on the rise. So uh, be on the lookout for that. We'll have more to say about that later this week, but it will go on sale next Monday. Also next Monday, I'll be on the David Fiorazzo Stand Up for the Truth program live, and so uh, you can look forward to that as we uh, begin to promote the book. And uh, kind of like we did with Volume One, you know, I was on uh, David Fiorazzo actually the day it was released. Now, this time it'll be the day we put it on the market, and you can pre-order it. Uh, but anyway, uh, look forward to that next Monday. Lots going on. But in the meantime, before I bring uh, Randy on here, I wanted to. Uh, just go to a passage of scripture that uh, kind of came to me uh, yesterday as I was thinking about all the bad news in the world today, and that was uh, the book of Revelation. And the reason Revelation should come to mind when you're thinking about how much leeway Satan has today and how he seems to be winning the battle is because Revelation tells the end of the story. It is the triumphant return of Christ in victory, in fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy as uh, he wins the battle. And uh, and so it's really uh, an obituary for Satan. And I want to remind him of that. I know he's been kind of, he and his legion of demons, maybe not Satan himself, but certainly some of his uh, demonic accomplices have been closely monitoring all of the truth and information that we have been getting out there through the various uh, outlets and uh, interviews that we've done. And so I just want to remind them if they happen to be listening to this podcast uh, you lose. You know, your day is coming. Uh, you have a day of reckoning that's already calendared, and nothing you can do can stop it. As hard as you fight, and as mean as you may be, and as deceptive and murderous as you uh, may be, your day is coming. One day, God's going to say, enough is enough. Enough is enough. And so, um, you know, basically, as I was thinking about this, and we're going to get to some of the news items here in a moment, but you know, it's it's exciting to me to see the world falling apart because it means that Jesus is about to put it all back together again in perfect peace and righteousness. And so obviously nobody likes to go through hardship or difficulty or tragedy or crisis. But as we look at the world around us descending rapidly into the great satanic reset, we look at things like transhumanism, uh, central bank digital currencies. By the way, I'll be speaking on October 30th in the Denver metro area at two o'clock in the afternoon, that's a Sunday, at a, a gathering of the stand-up, uh, let's see, it's called uh, Elbert County Stand-Up Group, uh, and I'll be speaking, I've been asked to speak on uh, central bank digital currencies, and so I'm going to be talking about uh, CBDC and the coming one world system, uh, so we'll have more to say about that. You can go to our calendar page, uh, and we'll have that updated here uh, here shortly, but um, you know, we see things like the, the, the rollout uh, and the pressure to roll out the central bank digital currency global control grid, the full spectrum control grid, and and you start getting discouraged. But you know, from a biblical prophecy perspective, that should you know bring to mind all of the prophecies of Scripture that tell us these things are going to happen. So, in other words, this is all part of God's plan. It's not a surprise. Uh, nothing escapes His sovereign plan. 
Uh, and it should also remind us that the, the more we see these things happening, the closer we're getting uh, to Christ's return and the, the ushering in of the new heavens and the new earth. So again, it's exciting to see the world falling apart because it just means that Jesus is getting ready to put it all back together again. But if you get to Revelation, if you go to Revelation uh, chapter 4, chapters 4 and 5, actually, God, in this climactic book in his self-revelation to mankind, reveals a, a heavenly court scene, as it were, that's taking place in the cosmic heavenly temple, very similar in its description to Israel's Old Testament temple and the one uh, from which Christ will reign in the millennium, as described in Ezekiel 40 to 48. But it's kind of a, a court scene uh, involving a divine council uh, in session where God is, is deciding uh, who is worthy to open the seals of his wrath and begin to pour out his judgment, his vengeance on Satan, the Antichrist, and indeed all of evil. And, and so chapters four and five are really like the, the fulcrum or the tipping point in the book of Revelation, and everything that follows leads up to this, you know, climactic return of Christ. And so, um, you know, someone has said, no part of the Bible is more calculated to evoke worship than these two chapters in the book of Revelation, Revelation 4 and 5. So chapter 4 focuses on God the Father, the Creator, who hands over the seven-sealed scroll of His wrath to the Lamb, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in chapter 5. And then in chapter 5, uh, God's Son is the emphasis, the Redeemer, who receives and opens the scroll, and uh, and, and, pour, and the wrath of God begins to pour out in, in the great uh, equalizer, you know, the great vengeance. You know, that's why God's word says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So often our hearts cry out for justice, cry out for vengeance. And um, indeed, uh, one day the world will experience that vengeance. Uh, now, no human being has to experience that. Nobody has to face the wrath of God because God has sent his son, Jesus, uh, to die on the cross and pay our penalty for sin, rise again, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and offer freely to all the gift of eternal life. Before he can be the lion of the tribe of Judah, the great uh, victorious warrior with a sword proceeding out of his mouth as he comes to tread the winepress of the wrath of Almighty God, he must first be the lamb uh, of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so if you're listening to this, let me just pause and say, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, Boy, based on the stuff that Randy and I are about to talk about, you need to make that a priority. There is an urgency to the gospel. Time waits for no man. Life is but a vapor, James tells us, and uh, you need to be ready because if you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you're not part of the family of God, if you're not a child of God, then that means you're a child of wrath, and this wrath that's coming is going to be uh, poured out upon you as well. It's interesting that God is never addressed as Father in Revelation chapters 4 all the way to 19 when Christ comes back. In, in these chapters, he's, he's acting as judge. You know, he is our heavenly father now. John 1.12 tells us, uh, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, uh, if we believe in his name. First uh, John 3 tells us, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Uh, and again, if you know the Lord, then that's your relationship with him once and for all guaranteed. But if you don't know the Lord, then you're going to be staring at the almighty creator of the universe as the judge. 
The word throne occurs 45 times in the book of Revelation, but only 15 times in the rest of the New Testament. In other words, the throne of God is referenced three times more in the book of Revelation than it is in the entire rest of the New Testament put together. And the person on that throne is undoubtedly God the Father, the creator of the universe. And so we see them asking as they gather around the throne, you know, the, the 24 elders, which believe, which I believe represents the church because they've already received their crowns, uh, which the church receives its crowns uh, at the rapture prior to the outpouring of the wrath of God. And the four living creatures, which are a representation of the four classes of created uh, created beings, uh, wild beasts, domesticated animals, humans, and flying creatures. And all, all together, they represent all of creation, glorifying and praising God. And you see incredible symbols of thunder and lightning being uh, poured out uh, around the temple as the wrath of God is about to burst onto the scene. And, and God has been holding back his wrath until uh, the, the, just such a time as this. And, and even today, the whole earth groans and waits and yearns for this time when God will bring vengeance upon evil. And so they're asking in chapters four and five, who is worthy or what gives God the right to bring judgment? And God says, what gives me the right to bring judgment? I'll tell you what gives me the right to bring judgment. The lamb of God was slain. His blood was shed and he's been there. Uh, you know, uh, he's, experienced all that we've experienced. He's been, he's suffered and been tempted in every way, just as we have been. In fact, a great Psalm that someone reminded me of this morning is the Messianic Psalm 22. It's a Davidic Psalm, and I believe it's, you know, completely Messianic. It's the one that Christ quotes from the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And many other passages from the New Testament that are describing the passion of Christ, the death of Christ on the cross, come from Psalm 22. But Psalm 22 is a beautiful uh, psalm, uh, 31 verses, uh, and it's easy to outline. In fact, I was thinking as I was looking at it this morning uh, before we started this recording, I may actually use that passage as a Easter message uh, on Resurrection Sunday this spring. But verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 22 talk about how Christ is abandoned, verses 6 through 11, how he was abhorred, verses 12 to 21, how he was attacked physically. But guess what? In verse 21b, the Bible tells us God answered his pleas. God answered his cries. And the whole rest of the psalm, verses 21 to 31, describe his adoration, how he is adored. And listen, Satan needs to be reminded that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, including you, Satan, uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the rightful heir to the Davidic throne, that one day the entire Godhead, uh, which in Psalm 2, which was also written by uh, David, uh, we know God laughs at Satan and his earthly co-conspirators as they uh, try to throw off the cords and the bonds of control, and, and they try to take over control of this world. God sits back and laughs. Why? Because he knows that his son, the eternal son of God, has already essentially taken the throne. He hasn't physically taken it yet because it's not time, but it is his. He is the rightful heir to it. And so I just wanted to give that encouragement. If you need some encouragement, go back and read Revelation 4 and 5. What a day that will be uh, when God says enough is enough. 
and Satan gets uh, his day of reckoning. So it's I guess it's good, Randy, that we kind of talked about the uh, the, the the good news before we talk about the bad news, because there is certainly a no shortage of uh, bad things uh, sort of lining up, all of which are setting the stage for God's end times plan. So I want to bring on now uh, Randy Yoder, a dear friend, uh, part of the Plum Creek Chapel family, and uh, I, uh, as I said, one of the smartest guys I know. Randy, welcome to the program. Thank you, sir. Pleasure to be here. Well, so I wanted to get your take, first of all, on the whole Russia-Ukraine situation. You know, people have been talking about that now for months since the invasion began. I, uh, early on, gave a message in Tulsa entitled uh, Russia, Ukraine, and the New World Order. Um, but uh, since then, a lot's happened. And so uh, give us your general sense of uh, uh, you know, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, or maybe they're both uh, bad guys. And how do you see things developing over there? Well, I have several friends that I talk to. I have an uncle that is from the Ukraine, and we got most of his family out last winter before things got really bad. Mm. Um, there is no good guy. We have two bad guys, and the world just has not come to realize that yet. For a comedian to become the president of the second most corrupt country in the world is more than interesting, I think. Mr. Zelensky, while he has some great attributes, he also scares me. The more I watch him and the more I listen to him, the more I see Mr. Putin being very similar to Mr. Zelensky. Mr. Z Zelensky, you'll see, is uh, using everything the world has to offer as far as money, weapons, personnel, and he keeps wanting and wanting and wanting. Now, that's great, but there comes a time when we run out of materiel to give him. And if you listen to the news or even to the man on the street, everybody understands that our armament, our supplies are getting very low for America itself. On the other hand, we have Mr. Putin, who, if anybody thinks he's a nice guy, I'd like to take you back to his training in the KGB. The KGB uh, personnel are not known for their uh, patience, their love, and their understanding. They are there to protect Mother Russia. They are there to obtain information to make sure there are no threats to Mother Russia. And Mr. Putin is arguably the richest man in the world. Now, on his salary, he did not get that way. How he got that way is the corrupt nature of Russia. They and the Ukraine share that honor. Um, it's basically a payoff system where you get your friends, you make sure that they're in a very comfortable position. They remain very steadfast in their loyalty to you and they get richer and you get to stay in power that much longer. Now that, be, that uh, started back with Mr. Yeltsin. If you remember Boris Yeltsin immediately after Mr. Gorbachev. Uh, Mr. Gorbachev, I think, was a genuinely nice man, wanted to change the world for his children and his grandchildren. And then we got Mr. Yeltsin in there and the uh, downturn began. Mr. Putin, while everybody looks at him as just being not in control and not having any idea what he's doing, I will tell you when it comes to military minds, 
he is probably one of the best in the world. The man plods, he plods along, he lays out his plan until he's ready to institute it. The last few months, everybody really thought that the Ukraine was going to win the war. When Mr. Putin started the war, he sent in conscripts, he sent in the dregs of the Russian army. They were basically, he thought it would be a quick war. He thought, send them in, let them be the cannon fodder, and we'll be good. Now, if anyone believes that those are his crack troops, I would say, wait just about three weeks. Because as soon as it freezes in the Ukraine, you will see a movement by the Russian army that looks like the blitzkrieg of the Germans. <laughs> Yeah, let, let me interject. Uh, you know, I find it funny that for months, uh, the mainstream media has been talking about how Russia was out of missiles, that they, you know, used up all their ordinances and, and armaments and so forth, and they were going to be in trouble. And of course, then after uh, the Nord Stream pipeline uh, sabotage and the uh, Crimean Bridge, uh, Russia unleashed the, you know, the fury of, of their wrath on uh, Ukraine. And suddenly now all these missiles appear. And so I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, uh, people vastly underestimate Putin. And, and going back to the alleged end of the Cold War, I've, I've researched that for, for many years now. And, uh, and, and, and I can tell you, the you know communism was never really defeated uh you're right about gorbachev in my view he was kind of a pawn in the game and and promoting perestroika but he had many uh old liners that were you know against him and i think the luciferians who really are pulling the strings of world affairs basically uh you know made it look like communism fell when it really just went underground and you know uh, putin was was part of the old guard and so when he kind of came into play here after Yeltsin and in, in our day, uh, you know, that should have raised all kinds of red flags. And yet, you know, most people, like you, you said, the man on the street, they just, you know, uh, they tend to believe the mainstream media and kind of be like a straw in the wind and, and jump on bandwagons. And, and that's really the point I was making back in my message in Tulsa was that don't be deceived into thinking that Ukraine is the good guy and Russia is the bad guy. As you correctly pointed out, Randy, both of them uh, are, are bad guys. And so uh, another thing that I think is, is really interesting to see here is that all of this that's playing out over there with Turkey and Erdogan, and as we've just been talking about Russia and Ukraine, really comes straight from Scripture. Uh, if you look at Ezekiel 38 and 39, we read about uh, this future war, which I believe will take place in earnest after the rapture, uh, though it's certainly the stage could be being set and appears to be being set, because you've got uh, you know Magog, which is clearly a reference to southern Russia, which includes uh, the parts that uh, were are currently uh, under control of Ukraine, and Russia is trying to take them back. That certainly makes me stop and and pause and go hmm could this be you know the setting the stage for that battle and then you've got other nations like uh, Iran and Turkey and Syria um uh, and uh, even uh, Sudan and Libya have all been in the news in the last few years uh and Iran is very much in the news now and seems to be allying with Russia so it just seems like 
you know, again, we're not trying to do newspaper exegesis here, but it, you know, the, these prophecies are in the Bible for a reason. And, you know, when you see the stage being set, boy, you ought to stand up and take notice, right? That's right. When you see Putin take the areas of the Ukraine that he's in possession of right now, uh, you have to understand those will provide him with the warm water ports that he needs so he can transverse his uh, material, his ships, his subs from the Black Sea to the Mediterranean. From the Mediterranean, he can go anywhere in the world. Now, to do that, he has to bring Turkey up alongside where he's at. And if you watch Turkey over the last year, you'll see that they are going sliding very quickly towards the Soviet influence. The Soviet sector, uh, when Russia, Iran, and Turkey have a meeting and they agree on energy policy, that is not a, uh, a good thing for NATO. Yeah, that's not a positive development. Do you think Turkey is, is sort of angling to leave NATO? I think they'll be out of NATO in less than a year. Yeah. They have an energy policy with them now. They have constant flights from Moscow to Turkey daily at night and during the day. You can watch those. And when you look at the news, they are quickly turning from NATO. They do not want Sweden and Finland in NATO. NATO is probably going to bring them on anyway. And that will probably be one of the last sticks to fall before they decide they don't need NATO again. The U.S. air base at Inserlik, um, pretty good sized air base where we have nuclear weapons. About a year and a half ago, the United States wanted to move them from Turkey to a more friendly area. Turkey said, absolutely not. You can move your air base if you want to, but you're not taking your nukes with you. <laughs> now, <clears throat> for a member of NATO to tell another member that, you have to stop and wonder what's going on. Uh, you also remember in Revelation that it talks about the final battle, Armageddon, Gog, Magog, and you know one of the big roadblocks to anybody ever getting a war like that started is the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Mm -hmm. okay? A year and a half ago, the Turks finally completed their dam system where they can shut any water off to the Euphrates and the Tigris and dry it up within two days. That would permit mass crossing of any troops, materiel that they wanted to get moving anytime they wanted to do it. Yeah, so I mean, see, it's all falling together quite rapidly. Yeah, it's the sixth bold judgment, which is the final bold judgment, you know, moments before, uh, you know, the great earthquake and the return of Christ with all of the cosmic signs. Uh, that's described there in Revelation 19. It's also described, by the way, in Matthew 24 and 25 and the Olivet Discourse. But uh, that sixth bowl judgment is the drying up of the Euphrates and preparing for that final uh, battle or campaign, really, of, of Armageddon. It's more than just one uh, battle. So uh, we mentioned, or you mentioned uh, Turkey, but uh, what, what do you make of Ukraine desperately trying to gain NATO membership? Well, I think Mr. Zelensky knows his days are numbered. I think he believes there's protection in NATO, which there would be, but he will never see the day when Ukraine is part of NATO. If you wanted to start World War III, that would be the key to doing it. Putin has already threatened that if you do that, we're going to launch World War III immediately. Um, 
the Ukraine right now would be a liability to NATO, not an asset. Uh, I think you will find that uh, Mr. Putin has the four areas of the Ukraine he needs. He will keep them at any cost and up into using nuclear weapons. I don't think he would have any problem uh, in using tactical nuclear weapons to keep what he now sees as part of Russia. Yeah, I, I so think if, there's a lot of commentators out there on both extremes. Some that say, oh, this is a bluff. It'll never happen. It's you know, mutually assured destruction. And then others on the other end that say, oh, no, it's going to be the end of the world. Well, I don't think it's either. And, and, and I, I want to come back to the nuclear aspect of this in a moment. But before we do that, I want to step back and look at things from the macro level perspective of the Luciferian conspiracy, which is what I uh, detail in my two-volume series on Spirit of the Antichrist, uh, you have to ask, you know, what's really going on behind the scenes? This is, goes beyond, in my view, a simple uh, geopolitical battle for territory or battle for power. I mean, there is a, a Luciferian conspiracy clearly outlined in Scripture, and as I've detailed in now two, the latest two books, uh, very much historically attested, uh, that wants to take over the world. And there are three primary uh, outposts, if you will, uh, that often kind of have some internal struggles. It's the Luciferian agenda is not monolithic. It's not perfect. Satan is not omniscient. So, uh, you know, God is not the author of confusion. Satan is. And so as much as he wants to take over the world, Satan, uh, it's not as easy as he thinks. And so you've got internal squabbles and competing agendas and lies and betrayals. Uh, so, but the three outposts really are Russia, China, and the United States. And in order to, the best evidence that I've seen, uh, the, the, in order to usher in the one world system, we're going to see China and Russia ally eventually. Uh, they're already kind of starting that. And then they've got to bring down America. Now, I've talked about this for years and written about it. Uh, there's no question the Luciferians are on record of wanting to bring down America. That's uh, the one nation standing in the way of a one world system. And they have really ratcheted up uh, their attempts at that with the uh, pre-planned uh, pandemic that was rolled out after being planned for 22 years uh, back in 2020 and all of the resultant medical tyranny and, and really changing the world as we know it uh, in a similar way to 9-11. And so they're, they're knocking on the door. They think they're getting very, very close. Um, you know, I talk about a lot of that in volume two with the central bank digital currencies, transhumanism, uh, all of the uh, things working together uh, toward their depopulation agenda. In fact, I just got a uh, link that uh, someone sent me yesterday uh, you know, from the World Economic Forum, one of the speakers at a World Economic Forum uh, event was being interviewed by a, a reporter afterwards, and they're sitting there laughing about the depopulation agenda of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. The guy had talked about it in his speech, and then basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says something to the effect to the reporter, well, everybody's, you know, doesn't really like me that much because I, I talk about depopulation. They want, most people want more souls on the earth. I want a lot less souls. And then he and the reporter both laugh, ha, 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 like that's funny. So it's really, everything's sort of coming uh, to a head, but the, the most unique, I think, aspect of all of it is this nuclear war, which to me is not about Russia or Ukraine. It's ultimately about uh, bringing down 
America. So talk to us about your thoughts on the reality or maybe the realistic threat of nuclear war from, from your perspective. Well, when you look at the players, we look at Mr. Zelensky, we look at Mr. Putin, both of those gentlemen are students of Klaus Schwab, which I find quite interesting when you start digging into the mess that we have at hand. Um, I don't believe that Putin wants to destroy any more of Ukraine than he has to, but he's willing to. If we look forward a few years to the Gog-Magog war that's coming up, you see that Russia is part of Gog-Magog and they will be moving south towards Israel. Well, there are two choices for Russia to move south. They can go to the west and go down through Moldova and Bulgaria into Turkey, if Turkey would allow it. And of course, that's why they want to be an ally. Or they can go to the east through Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan. Now, if you've noticed the last few weeks, Armenia and Azerbaijan are having problems also. Yep. Mr. Putin just conveniently has troops stationed in Georgia, where if he was so inclined, he could move through the Armenian area in less than a week. And that would provide him complete control for an eastern uh, procession down to uh, assist Iran. I think it's kind of a crapshoot right now if we're going to see really an acceleration of the war. I am pretty sure that when things freeze in the Ukraine, which is early November, um, if Putin has not gotten what he wants, I do believe he actually would go to a tactical nuclear weapon. But the thing is, we see France coming out and say they will not make a nuclear response to that. Um, sure, Germany, Great Britain, the rest of them in NATO are going to be of the same mindset. They have nothing to win by defending Ukraine to that point. The United States, we, we do a lot of talking, but I don't see us uh, ever going to a nuclear war over new Ukraine. I really don't. Not, not on purpose. Um, yes. Now, let me go back to your uh, reference to Russia and they're invading Israel. Of course, we know that's biblical, as you said, and as I've said. Uh, and if you look at a map, uh, you're exactly right. To get to Israel, this nation from the north, which is Russia, uh, we can prove that biblically, uh, has to either go west, which would be all the way across Ukraine and then through Romania and Bulgaria, and then down through Turkey, through you know western Turkey, or uh, and across the Mediterranean Sea there, or they can go basically straight south, <laughs> across Turkey and Syria and come into Israel from the north. That's been uh, the sort of the conventional expectation of Bible prophecy experts is that when the Bible says they come from the north, that they would come sort of due south. Uh, but what's interesting, if you know your geography, you know, surrounding Israel to the north is Syria, Turkey, and then Russia and the Kazakh states. But then to the west, uh, to the east rather, is Iraq. Now, what do we know about Iraq? Well, ancient Babylon is there, and we know biblically that the, the physical city of Babylon is going to be rebuilt. A lot of people miss that when they discuss the mystery of Babylon that Revelation talks about. Mystery just means new revelation, something previously unrevealed in Scripture that's now being revealed. So Babylon is going to, be, is going to rise from the ashes, both physically, geographically, as well as in terms of its religious, economic, and political system. So, you know, really that whole region is a hotbed for Antichrist 
uh, activity when uh, the uh, Antichrist takes the helm of, of the one world order. Um, now, back to the United States role. Um, you know, I think when it comes to nuclear war, it seems to me that right now, based on the, what the news media is reporting, the powers that be might know something that we don't, because it's been widely reported that all throughout the Northeast, particularly in uh, New York, you're seeing public service campaigns warning about nuclear war. Television commercials, radio commercials, they're, they're saying, you know, remember these three things in the event of a nuclear uh, event, get inside, stay inside, stay tuned, listen to the authorities. Uh, you know, you see, um, you see, you know, signs going up, billboards, signs in shopping malls, signs on the subway, signs on the public transportation, like buses, all kind of, you know, echoing this same concept of be prepared for a nuclear event, get inside, stay inside, stay alert. Uh, you see, uh, uh, you know, signs in airports, you see, uh, you know, people warning about it. Now, you know, I don't, I don't think that's hype. I think that, you know, the Luciferian conspiracy, as I said, is not monolithic. It's a need to know basis. And I think people at the mid-level who don't even realize that Satan's the one really ultimately in charge of this uh, are aware that, you know, the, the, the drumbeats of war are happening and there's threats. Uh, Putin himself has made it very clear that, you know, the West better watch out or he's going to, you know, bring nuclear war. He said that on October 3rd, threatening nuclear war. Then we have President Biden on October 7th talking about Armageddon. And then he's authorized the government to purchase nearly $300 million worth of uh, KI pills. That's potassium iodide or radiation sickness uh, pills. Um, Poland, just a few days ago, was uh, ordering that all of their fallout shelters be checked out and prepped and be readied and, and fill, be filled up with, uh, you know, supplies and things. So, I mean, you just see it, see a lot of precincts reporting, and that's the kind of stuff that always catches my attention. It doesn't mean that, you know, nuclear war is going to happen tomorrow, but if, if I was the Luciferians and I wanted to bring down America, you know, that would be certainly one way to bring us to our knees, wouldn't it? Definitely. Uh, I don't see us getting involved in a nuclear confrontation because of Ukraine. Undoubtedly, we're going to get into a nuclear confrontation probably with Russia and China both. When uh, Russia and China have warships off of both, both of our coasts, their nuclear submarines are always in our waters, uh, you know something's going to happen. <clears throat> I don't foresee anything happening unless it's a Pearl Harbor type of attack where they finally think they're strong enough, let's get America out of the way, and then we can do what we please. Unless, of course, there, we have developments that we don't see now. I have no doubt we're going to get into it. Um, my only qualms, I guess, is I go back to President Clinton when standard policy was we would respond to a nuclear strike after the strike. We have no preemptive first strike theory in place at all. Our policy is we will respond after the first strike. Well. Yeah. What does that leave to respond with? And yeah. I think I think our enemies see the weakness of Mr. Biden, and they pretty much do as they wish. 
And so we know something's coming. We don't know when, but um, I'd say there's a 90% chance of it happening in the next five years. Yeah. So yeah, what Randy's referring to there, which most of you may know, but some of you may not, is the PDD-60, Presidential Directive, Defense Directive 60, I think is what it's called, uh, where our policy changed under in the Clinton era, uh, according to which we previously could could launch on warning. In other words, if our defense systems pick up an incoming missile or detect that a missile has been launched, we can immediately respond in self-defense. But instead, our policy, and last I checked, uh, according to Joel Skousen, who's a, a top-level uh, geopolitical analyst, uh, and he checked, that's never been rescinded. And so now our policy is we will only respond upon impact. In other words, we have to wait till we're hit first, and then we can retaliate. Well, if Russia and China decide, uh, for whatever reason, to launch and target our strategic military establishments and military bases, um, you know, that could decapitate us and really bring us to our knees and force us in that sort of World War III scenario yeah. to sign on with the one world government for our own defenses. You know, remember what uh, I think it was uh, Kissinger said, might have been Rockefeller. Uh, they, I, they always kind of blend together in my mind. But one of them famously said, and I've got the quote in my book, that, you know, today Los Angeles would be outraged if U.N. troops entered the city, but someday they'll be thankful. And so they need to do something that kind of like with 9-11, when, when we said, hey, give up, let's give up, all, let's willingly give up all of our constitutional rights because the boogeyman is going to get us. And then 20 years later, the new boogeyman, let's willingly give up all of our rights again and stop worshiping God and, you know, not leave our houses and take this, you know, very dangerous, uh, you know, bio weapon injection. Um, so they love to use fear in that way. But but if we're decapitated, you know, we'll we'll be begging for some global entity, new world order entity uh, to protect us. So. You know, the thing that I think we need to remember is that even though Satan and the Luciferians have their timetable and they have their plans, uh, some of which we know, most of which we don't, but we certainly know what they've told us. And that is, as you said, they're really uh, kicking it into high gear over the next five years. They really want to have the one world system in place between 2025 and 2030. So that much we know. What we don't know and what they don't even know is what might happen that's unpredictable. Some rogue element, like a Putin who gets upset about something, could launch uh, and kind of deviate from the plan. You know, kind of like the quarterback who ignores the the coach's uh, play from the sideline and says to his team, "Hey, I don't. I want to. I want to go long. I want to go for a bomb pass right now." And you know, that could be good. It could be bad, depending on your perspective. So I think uh, one scenario that. Uh, seems very plausible to me that fits with the biblical record of Gog and Magog is that somehow America is prodded and poked and, and provoked into uh, getting into this war. And right now, as you've pointed out, Ukraine is not a NATO member. So we have, you know, although we are funding them and giving them all kinds of money and weapons, we haven't officially come to their defense. Uh, but uh, if some, Russia or Iran or North Korea or China with Taiwan, if something happened which compelled the United States to intervene, 
well then our you know enemies can could use that as a provocation and then they could launch and then you go back to us absorbing a first strike and then now we're decapitated so lots lots going on isn't there randy yes there is one thing i always think about though uh xi jinping from china has a daughter that's going to school i believe in massachusetts now if i were to see her suddenly leave that might make me nervous. As long as she's in school and things are no worse than they are, I think the Chinese are waiting for us to get into it with the Russians so they can take over Taiwan. They want Taiwan and they are stepping up the rhetoric and they are getting very close to being ready to take it. Uh, Russia worries me in that Putin, um, I kind of got an idea who he is, but I don't have any idea who would take over if something were to happen to him. Now, if he would die from this supposed illness he has or a coup, there are some real hardliners that are behind him that would worry me more than Putin does. The new commander that he put into Ukraine, uh, he is hardcore. That guy will take no prisoners when he's given an order. Yeah. So it's going to all play. We're going to have a better idea within the next month or six weeks when NATO has their gas shut off when gasoline is hard to get, and then we'll see how desperate they really are. Things get really desperate. Desperate people do desperate things. And we can see a complete change in the mindset and what they decide they need to do. So yeah, I, time I, will tell. Time will tell, exactly. I mean, and and of course, the whole uh, Russia-Ukraine context uh, and, and the, you know, the, the, the context of war, the potential for World War III, that's only one big part of the puzzle. There are a lot of other things going on in terms of economics, in terms of the uh, global surveillance control grid that they're hoping to roll out with digital currency, uh, in terms of the pandemics. You know, there's always another pandemic uh, lurking around the corner. And uh, so a lot of things going on. And again, I don't mean to sound all doom and gloom, but, you know, we know uh, that, you know, the Bible tells us what's going to happen in the lead up to the return of Christ. We are going to have a one world satanically driven system, uh, politically, religiously, and economically. That's a given if you believe the Bible, period. So uh, the question is, when we see things happening that appear to be setting the stage for that, it ought to make us look up and be watchful. It ought to make us uh, pay attention to the signs of the times. I I, ha I heard one uh, a commentator uh, say recently that he doesn't think uh, that we're going to see central bank digital currencies. And again, I'm speaking on that. We have a section on that in the new book. So I encourage you to read that. It's in the section under uh, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. But uh, I'm speaking on that October 30th in Denver uh, at uh, an event that Plum Creek Chapel is hosting. Uh, so I've been kind of doing some more research and preparing for that. And here's what I would say to someone who thinks that, oh, they'll never be able to roll out CBDCs. Well, they may not, but we know that they're going to roll out some means of economic trade according to which they can track everything and anything that everyone on the planet does. Uh, that's what Revelation 13 tells us, that no one on earth will be able to buy or sell without having this particular control mechanism, the mark of the beast. And so the CBDCs certainly fit that mold. There's no question. Doesn't mean that that's going to be that, because there are other things that we see that relate to that as well, such as the injectable operating systems and the DNA modifying injections and things like that. 
but one very plausible way that you know all the central banks throughout the world uh, uh, the european central bank the american central bank uh, bank of england all of these different organizations uh international bank of settlements they're all on board with it and world economic forum is bragging about it like this is going to happen a fundamental restructuring and re-engineering of the entire global monetary system so you know i don't think it's wise to assume that it won't happen and just keep on playing the game the same way. I think people need to prepare as if they're going to do what they say they're going to do. It uh, doesn't mean they will, and it doesn't mean they will before the rapture. But you know, we're not guaranteed to be raptured before all of thing, all of this uh, comes into place. So uh, we're just guaranteed to be raptured before the Antichrist takes the helm. So, uh, Randy, any closing thoughts before we uh, wrap up? Boy, I sure appreciate your uh, your insight and. Uh, and I know our listeners do as well. Well, I would say one thing on the digital currency. <clears throat> uh, people really don't believe in it and think it's never going to happen. But if you go to buy United States savings bonds, you can buy them digital currency right now. Wow. And if you want the top interest rate, <clears throat> excuse me, that's exactly how you have to do it. No longer is there a paper transaction. It's all digital. And when Russia... China and India decided a couple of weeks ago they didn't need the United States to be the reserve currency. I think we're in for some um, rude awakenings in the next few months as to how things are really going going to happen. And um, all I can say is, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. I couldn't have said it better. Yeah, I mean the the pandemic is a perfect illustration of how the world as we know it uh, changed overnight. Well, the same thing could happen economically, where there's a major global disaster of some kind, and the only solution is for everybody to sign on to this digital uh, currency, which, just like the pandemic, it's not about what it's about. The CBDCs are about control. It's a totalitarian control mechanism under the pretext of the you know economic uh, you know transactions. So... Anyway, thanks so much, Randy. Boy, we'll have you to bet. do this again. I hope we hope you'll allow us to uh, call on you again and maybe do some more uh, dialogue. But in the meantime, we want to end where we began, and that is by reminding uh, Satan that enough is enough, and his day of reckoning is coming. Revelation tells us that quite plainly. Revelation 19, verse 20, tells us that the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, uh, his sidekick, will be cast into the lake of fire. And then Revelation chapter 20, verse uh, 10 uh, tells us that Satan himself uh, will be cast into that same lake of fire. So you lose Satan. Uh, he is a loser, and uh, he may seem like a like he's winning the the battle, but the war has already been won. So uh, I encourage you to st uh, you know stay in the Word of God, look up, be watchful, and uh, we will uh, you know tune in again next time as we come back together for some more. Uh, commentary on political events. In the meantime, join us Sunday as we live stream from Plum Creek Chapel. I'll be continuing our look at uh, the book of Acts and then also our look at end times Bible prophecy during the nine o'clock hour. Be on the lookout for the new book. Should be out again in less than a week. Uh, hits the market on Monday, uh, June the 24th. In the meantime, you can check out spiritoftheantichrist.org. That's spiritoftheantichrist.org. Thanks again, Randy. Thank you all for listening. And we will see you again next time.